You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time: the roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Coming to you from Classic City, the capital of the Bulldog Nation. It's time for another edition of the podcast designed for the most die-hard Georgia fans in the country. Here are your hosts, Tyler and Curtis. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA podcast brought to you by our good friends at MyBookie. Go to mybookie.ag today and use the promo code UGA when you sign up as a brand new user and they will match your first deposit up to $200 in cash. No strings attached, no rollovers, no bonuses. It's straight cash added to your account. You can you can withdraw that and do whatever it is that you want to do with it. So make sure to do that today and bet anything, anytime, anywhere with my bookie. You guys know the drill. I am your host, Tyler, and joining me today for our official Peach Bowl preview episode is my longtime host, Curtis. Just a quick heads up, guys. Obviously, it's still the holiday season, so Curtis is he's away from home right now, did not travel with all of his recording equipment. We did get him set up with a mic. We got that taken care of, but it's just not his normal mic. It's not all of his normal recording accessories, so I think it sounds great. I don't think I can really tell that much of a difference, but if you can... That's why. I just want to go ahead and put that out there for you guys. It's just one of the hazards of the holidays. You know, with a big game coming up here in a couple of days. I don't know if you guys heard. We got a pretty big game coming up. We felt we had to find a way to get him on here and uh, and make this episode happen. So we kind of made the most of it here. But we've already released separate Scouting the Enemy episodes specifically focused on both the Ohio State offense and the Ohio State defense. We did that over the past couple of weeks. So if you have not checked those out, you might want to start there before you d- dive into this episode because... On this episode, we're going to bring it all together. We're going to talk matchups, keys to the game, all that good stuff. Not as much numbers-based stuff. That was on those the enemy episodes. So again, if you haven't checked those out, go ahead and do that now. There's a lot of stuff in there, guys. A deep dive into both their offense and their defense. But Curtis, I want to go get this thing started, man. And I want to open the conversation with this. Because I am, and I'm genuinely curious where your head is with this game right now. I know it's only been a month, but it seems like we've been waiting for like two or three months. But now with this game just a couple of days away, what is your confidence level going into this matchup against Ohio State? You know, if I had to put it on a scale of 10, I would say maybe a six right now. Just because when it comes to these games, um, especially the way we got screwed as number one seed, playing probably one of the toughest number four seeds in a long time. It's always hard to have a, a super high confidence, and you know when you get to the college football playoffs. Um, but I, you know, I have a little bit of confidence, and I think you know, although the media and everyone outside of Vegas doesn't have confidence in Georgia, I I think I do. 
I mean, we're a seven point favorite. So I think there's confidence that we're the better team, but certainly not compared to like the spreads the rest of the season, right? Like this is a smaller margin than we've seen in any game since Tennessee. Really, yeah, exactly. It's the only other game that's been close. Exactly. I think that's the biggest thing. And I mean, realistically, you don't see big um, margins when it gets to the playoffs. And if they are, then it's kind of an embarrassment, in my opinion. But the fact is, I think that while, you know, we're perceived as a favorite, it's not the same. Um, it reminds me a lot of Tennessee, where we, I believe we were, yeah. what, ended at like an 11-point favorite, I think, maybe. But yeah. the media, ESPN, you know, everyone had Tennessee as the darling. At, you know, game day, almost everyone picked Tennessee, except for... Um, yeah, I think it got down to like... Like eight, I want to say something like that. Seven and a half, eight, depending on what book you were looking at. But yeah, I think most of at least the conversational social media, which that kind of skews things. Now that's a, as I often say, it's a toxic. That's like a it's a carnival funhouse, really. That's what Twitter is and, and what social media is. But the sharps were on George. But you're, I think the the average college football fan out there was like, oh, Tennessee's gonna win this football game, right? At least that's what we saw for a couple of weeks leading up to that game. And this is the, yeah. the closest I guess we've seen to that in I think all season long like Chris you seem to intimate there that you don't think Ohio State should have been the four seed I agree with you if that's what you were trying to say there oh yeah absolutely 100 that's what I'm trying to say yeah I, I totally agree with that here's my next question kind of go on with that is this the, the matchup of the two best teams in the country I don't think it is I think they're the third best team and the reason I saw it is okay. um you know it's happened before where we've lost a game and even kind of gotten blown out but we we're still one of the better teams in the country but that is not this same situation because this happened at home. And yeah. um, I think Michigan kind of exposed Ohio State for their weakness, which I believe is still a weakness. That it has been a weakness for them, um, you know, ever since Urban Meyer left. I think they haven't, you know, when he was there, they could they could hold up with the SEC football but um, physicality. But I don't know if that's the same case under Ryan Day realistically. Yeah, it's fair. Like, it's it's hard to sit here and argue with you when you say, oh, yeah, like, well, I mean, they're, they're the third best team in the country because the other team that beat them, Michigan, is also in the college football playoffs. They're still alive here, and they're undefeated, and they, oh, yeah, beat Ohio State at in Columbus in the horseshoe. So I totally get what you're saying there, Chris. I do, man. But just, like, I, I watched that game a couple of times, and I know that Michigan beat them in the final score. It ended up being, like, three touchdown difference in that game. But – I think if those two teams play, I, I know this is not how football works, and this is not how sports work, but like if this was in the NBA and it was a seven-game series, I think Ohio State wins a seven-game series with Michigan. I think they have more talent. I think they're a better overall team. I know they didn't. They were not that day. That day in Columbus was not one of the games they would have won if it was a seven-game series. But, Curtis, that was the four-point game going to the fourth quarter, and Michigan hit a couple of long plays. And get, yeah, I mean, credit. They, I mean, in that game, Kurt, it was five plays. It was five plays that Michigan had. Like it was like 80 ish percent of their total yards in that game came off five plays. Now, those plays happen, they're explosive. You got to give them credit. They hit those plays. I just don't know if it would have been the same if they played them every, if they played them seven times. I don't know. We'll see. That's, that's, that's not how sports work. I get that. So I'm not really going to argue with you there because I mean, hey, you're right. They beat Michigan there. But I think, I don't think it's a crazy thing to, to, to suggest that Ohio State might end up being the second best team in the country. I, I think they're that talented. So for me, when I'm talking about my confidence level going to this one, I think you nailed it. I think six. I, I kind of I've gone. I, I think I'm at a six or seven at this point. I, I believe that we are still the best team in the country. Are you with me on that, Kurt? Are we still the best team in the country right now? I think we are. Um, I can see the arguments made for Michigan just because you know, like we said, they went into the horseshoe and won big. Um, but I think we've been the most consistent team while we you know we struggled against Missouri. Um, you saw Michigan had multiple struggles, and that included a home game against Illinois. So I think this year is not like last year where you had 
the completely out dog, uh, dominant team like we were. But I still think when you look at our track record, it's hard to think we aren't. Yeah, I, I think that we are the best team in the country. I still think that is the case. Um, however, saying that, I also would say that we are not as good as we were last year. Is that also a fair curse? Are you going? Or do you disagree with me on that? I think that's yeah. That's I, I agree with that. I think that you know the yeah, there's still a gap in my opinion, but I don't think it's as severe as it was last year. Yeah, that that's kind of where I am. I think I think we are the best team in the country this year, but we aren't as good as we were last year. And that doesn't matter. Like it really doesn't matter um, because. That doesn't mean we still can't win the national championship. It's all relative to this year and the teams that we're playing this year. The I think the Alabama team that we beat in the national championship last year would have been any of the would have probably beaten any of the teams that we would have to beat this year to get to the to win the national championship again. I mean, they might even beat us. You know, like if that if we play if the 2022 Georgia football team played the 21 Bama team, I don't know. It'd be a good game. I, I don't know. I think Bama would have a, a very good shot to win that game, but it doesn't matter. They're not. That's not how this works. That we're not going to be playing that Bama team. So it doesn't mean that we still can't win the national championship, even if we weren't. If even if we are not as good as we were last year, but I, I think you know if you look at it matched up against the other three teams that are in the college playoff. You know, going back to what I was saying, like with, with Michigan, Ohio State, if they were seven game series, I think that we win more than we lose against all of these other teams that are still alive for the national championship. I just happen to think our margin for error in this game or in this in this postseason is smaller than it was last year. Like, I, I don't think that like last year, I think we could have brought our B game to a lot of different games and still have beaten most teams, even even the other other teams in the college playoff. Um, I, I don't think that we brought our A game in the national championship and we still beat Bama. I mean, hell, I think our C game would have probably beaten Cincinnati last year. I mean, I think our B game was better than most teams' A game last year. I just don't – again, I don't necessarily think that's the case this year. I don't think we are as dominant on defense. I don't think we're as explosive on offense. But in terms of this particular matchup against Ohio State, I'm curious what you think, Curtis, about this. You mentioned the Tennessee game a few minutes ago. I feel a lot like I did in the lead-up to the Tennessee game where, like, a couple weeks prior to that game, you know, my confidence, I'm not going to lie, guys, it, it was shaky to a degree. You know, I was like, I don't know, man. Like, I don't know if we're going to be able to win this game. Like, this is a tough team. It's a tough matchup, especially after that Missouri game. But as game week approached and I dove more and more into the film and breaking down that matchup against Tennessee, the better I felt. And to the point that we got to Thursday, Friday of that Tennessee game week, I was very confident that we were going to win that game. I, pred- I predicted us to cover that spread, and I felt good making that prediction Kurt, like do you get some of the same vibes that you did go like in that lead to Tennessee where at first maybe like you weren't quite feeling it but as we got closer and closer you started getting more and more confident I don't know you know I, I haven't been super confident but I think the more the talking heads start with all their you know Ohio State is going to come in eight you know all the Ohio State talk I think is the stuff that I love for Kirby Smart to get these kids attention um, and the way we played defensively in the LSU game, I kind of was like, you know, it, it allowed me to have a little bit more confidence than I may have going into it originally. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I don't know, like with with me, after the SEC championship game, and and you and I talked about this in, the, in that recap episode, Curtis, the way LSU threw the ball at will against us, just the, and I'm not a reactionary guy. I'm really not. I, I'm, I'm not at all. I, at least I try not to be. Um, I'm more of a deliberate thinker, but like in the immediate aftermath of that game, before I had time to like really go back and, and watch that game a couple different times, the fine tooth comb. Like I was, I left that stadium because I, I felt like we were probably going to play Ohio state. And I was, I was kind of mortified. I mean, I think I texted you curse. I was like, dude, Ohio state like might throw for 700 on us. And uh, I was, I was, I was, I was kind of mortified about that matchup potentially after what I saw 
in the SEC Championship game. But the, again, the more I've studied this team, the more I watched the SEC Championship and really paid attention to how we were defending LSU and saw that we were doing things that we hadn't really done all year. That's not how we're going to play Ohio State. The more I dug into this matchup, the more I've set kind of ruminated on it, the more confident I've gotten. And that, to me, at least for me, is very similar to the experience I had in that lead-up to the Tennessee game. But I do think Ohio State is um, – I think they're a superior team. I think they are – not compared to us, but I think compared to Tennessee – are you with me on that, Curtis? Is this Ohio State team better than Tennessee? They are. A healthy Tennessee? Um, I, I know Tennessee had a very um, explosive passing game, but there's a difference. Tennessee was more of trying to catch you in the mistake and hit you over yeah. the top for the big plays, where um, Ohio State has the receivers that are better in route running, in my opinion. Oh, I totally agree. I think t- I think uh, Tennessee was very, very explosive, and they are more explosive than Ohio State. They're the most explosive offense in the country. But I think Ohio State offensively is more diversified. I think they have more ways to hurt you. And I think they their offense, just in general, is a more diverse offense in the plays they run. I mean, if Tennessee runs like, I don't know, man, like eight to ten plays, and that's really what they run. Ohio State, much more diverse than what Tennessee was offensively. I think they're much, much better defensively than what Tennessee was. We'll get to the Ohio State defense here. They're much better than I think people give them credit for. And just in general, Ohio State's a more talented team. They have better personnel, personnel up and down their 1 through 85 scholarship players. So I, I do think Ohio State is a, is a much better team than Tennessee. I think this is the best team that we have played to this point in the season. In fact, Kurt, I really do. I think this might be the best team that we will play all season long. So I believe this is going to be one hell of a challenge. I, I do like our chances. We'll get to the prediction here at the end of the show. But, man, it, they're not going to make it easy on us. This is going to be one hell of a challenge. And, Curtis, on that note, as Georgia fans, let's just lean right into that, right? The Munson and the Dooley, it's deeply ingrained in, in all of us. I don't want to speak for everyone, but for at, least, at least in most of us. The I just don't know how we're even going to stay in this game mindset is a time-honored tradition throughout much of the fan base, man. And, look, I'm as guilty as anyone with that. Everyone who listens to this show, you know that. I don't even try to hide that. That's just who I am. It's what I grew up on, and that's how I'm built. So, Curtis – I want you to give me your best Larry Munson, Vince Dooley impression, and tell me what matchup concerns you the most in this game against Ohio State. What is it, if there's anything, that's keeping you up at night in the lead-up to this game? They're receivers against our DBs. Um, yeah. Simple as that. Two 1,000-yard receivers. And um, I have a feeling we may be playing more man-on-man like we did against Tennessee, which will open up, allow us to play more, keep our safeties deep. Um, but right now that is the matchup that scares me the most because that's Ohio State lives on the big plays. It's got to be. Like, Curtis, it's got to be, right? Like, I, I, yeah. I felt you were probably going to go in that direction, and you and I have talked about this a little bit off the air, so I, I kind of I kind of knew you'd probably go in that direction. I wanted to, to like, give the listeners out there something different and, like, talk about a different part of this game, but if we're trying to be objective, trying to be honest here and be authentic, which is – that's what we go for here – I, I, I got to be real, man. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm 100% with you. Like, this is the matchup that scares me. And I just mentioned, coming out, of the, coming out of the LSU SEC Championship win, I was mortified, man. I was like, oh, my God, if that LSU passing offense just put up 500 on us in the air, like, what is Ohio State going to do with those receivers and that quarterback? I mean, the, I think the receivers are pretty comparable, to be honest. I think LSU has a really good group of receivers. But quarterback's a different story. C.J. Stroud, I think, is the most accurate quarterback that I have seen in a long, long time when he's allowed to sit back there and just operate in a clean pocket. Now, it's going to be our job to make that pocket – unclean but when he's got a clean pocket that dude i mean the way he places balls in in certain spots like i don't i haven't seen the quarterback in a long time that can do that. i mean joe burrow was pretty close to that i think he's a better pure passer than joe burrow burrow was i think a better overall player because he had the mobility he had that swagger that confidence but i mean in terms of arm talent putting the ball where the ball needs to be like man i 
I don't know. I mean, this guy is, he's about as good as it, as it gets, in my opinion. But you're right, man. Like, all right, I'm going to go back and do, let's do a little history lesson, Curtis. I think all of our listeners out there probably understand this. I just want to put some numbers to this. So they are very good in, with their passing offense, right? That We understand this is the top 15 passing offense in the country. Okay, now they're not as dominant of a passing offense as they were last year, which I detailed last week. But they're still a top 15, maybe the 14th nationally right now in passing offense. And so let's go back, and just go a couple years back in time. And let's look at the top 15 passing offenses that Georgia has faced since 2019 and how we have fared against those offenses. So, again, Ohio State's 14th nationally passing offense right now. That's why I'm saying top 15 offenses going back to 2019. I'm going back four seasons because that's a full recruiting cycle. I don't think it's as relevant to include the first couple of seasons of Kirby's tenure because our roster had not really been fully built out yet. So going back to 2019, all right? So let's go LSU 2019, Curtis. That was a top five passing offense in the country, one of the best offenses I've ever seen in the college in the college game. Uh, Joe Burrow was 28 of 38 for 349 yards passing that game, four touchdowns. Alabama 2020. In Tuscaloosa, uh, Mac Jones, 24 of 33, 417 yards passing, four touchdowns. Florida, Kyle Trask and all those receivers they had, Kyle Pitts, Kadarius Tony, all those guys. Florida, 2020 in Jacksonville, 30 of 43 for 474 yards, four touchdowns. Alabama in the SEC Championship game last year, 26 of 44, 421 yards passing. Bryce Young sets an SEC Championship single game passing record with those 421 yards, three touchdowns. In the National Championship, we were a little bit better, but still 35 of 57 for 369, one touchdown. Tennessee this year, the most explosive offense in the country, one of the best passing offenses in the country, at least statistically. They were 23 of 33 for 195 in one touchdown. So, Curtis, that's six games right there, man, against – Top 15 passing offense is going back to 2019. Average that out, that comes out to 370 passing yards a game, three touchdowns a game against those teams, 67.6 completion percentage. To me, I don't know about you, man, but that's pretty compelling evidence that we have had serious issues against teams that, A, feature dynamic passing offenses, and, B, have offensive skill talent or just overall offensive talent that either matches or exceeds our defensive talent. And that's basically what we have here with Ohio State curse. It's a dynamic passing offense with, as you mentioned, dynamic receivers. And I think one of the best passing quarterbacks that we have seen in the college game in, in quite some time. So that to me is why this has to be the matchup that scares you, that concerns you in this game. And if we don't win this game, this is going to be why. Uh, and I will say that you go back and look at those numbers. Chris. So the Tennessee game is the one that is not like the others. And that gives you some confidence because that is this season, right? And those other games were not this season, not this specific Georgia defense. So when you look at that Tennessee game, so it's, I think it's one of two things. It's either a sign that, A, we have recruited better talent and we've addressed the passing issue, the passing defensive issue, or B, it's an anomalous performance that just has a lot to do with the home field factor in that game and how crazy the crowd was and the fact that Tennessee is, as a roster – just isn't on the same level as the other teams, like the LSUs, the Bamas, the Floridas that year that gave us trouble. So, Kurt, what way do you lean there? Like, if you look at the Tennessee game, was that a sign that we have just gotten better with our past even against these elite passing offenses, or was that just kind of an anomalous deal? My biggest thing is maybe the scheme, because Tennessee had an explosive team last year. You know, they put up, put up some big plays on Bama, but it's just the way they play. Their scheme allows you to kind of play them that way. It is, which is also what's going to make, you know, Ohio State difficult. As, you know, I mentioned, their route tree is more advanced, which is going to make it harder than just, like, you think back to the Keely Ringo pick against Tennessee. 
all he had to do was just turn and run. Like you knew what was coming. Um, yeah. A lot. You knew a lot of what these routes the guys were going to run, and that's what's going to make Ohio State more difficult, and some of these other teams more difficult. I think you're right. They're more predictable, right? That's, I think Tennessee yeah. is a more predictable offense. And they're, they're explosive when they – like Tennessee puts up those massive numbers against the Missouris of the world, the Vanderbilts of the world, because those teams can't match up with them from a talent perspective. But when they play teams like Georgia that can match up with them from a talent perspective, all of a sudden now they're not as explosive, right, because they're just too predictable. And you can't be that predictable when you're outclassed from a talent perspective, and that's what we saw in Athens against Tennessee. This is a different story here. Ohio State's not as predictable. I think offensively, overall, their overall offensive talent is better than the overall offensive talent that Tennessee has. I know that Jalen Hyatt won the Bolitnikoff Award. I get that. But I, I don't necessarily know that just the Tennessee game, if you don't get that game, and say, well, yeah, man, Tennessee is the most explosive offense in the country, and look what we did against them. I get that, but it's a different kind of offense. I also, like, as good as Hinton Hooker is, I think C.J. Stroud's a better passer, Curtis. Am I off base saying that? I think that's fair. I think he's a better passer. I mean, he's not he's not a dynamic runner. I'm not saying that Hooker's a, dy- a dynamic runner, but he can at least run and pick up and hurt you with his legs. C.J. Stroud, like, refuses to run. So I, I'm not going to sit here say he's, like, overall a better quarterback necessarily, but as a passer, like, distributing the ball, I think he's better. I think, like, C.J. Stroud, in a lot of ways, I, I'm sorry, uh, Hinton Hooker, I don't want to call him a one-trick pony, but he throws a gorgeous deep ball, and he pushes the ball down the field to those explosive receivers. He's not, like, cr- he, like and you mentioned the route tree. It's not a super diverse route tree. Like he's not doing a lot of things, making a lot of the throws that CJ Stroud makes on a routine basis. I think CJ Stroud's better. I think their offensive line is better. I think the receiver group as a whole is better. I think their running backs are better. I think that that Ohio State's better. And that's what concerns me here is like when we have faced offenses that have comparable talent to what we have on defense and they can throw the ball over the field. The numbers I read out to you guys, those are those are real. Those are those aren't. I, I'm not making that up. Like those games happen. I know that's not this year, but. I mean, guys, like we've had good defenses the past, like tw- since 2019, our defense has been elite, some of the best defenses in the country. And uh, man, I just, it's a concern. It's certainly a concern of mine going to this game. If you look at a matchup that, that could end up sinking us, I think it has to be this matchup against the Ohio State receivers and really just their passing game in general. And guys, we are just scratching the surface of this preview episode, and I hate to derail things, but we got to pay the bills. Let's go ahead and real quickly, let me remind you guys about our guys at MyBookie. This is it, guys. This is the very last episode that we will be able to remind you guys about our exclusive promo deal with MyBookie. It expires on December 31st. So if you've been on the fence, if you've been thinking about it, but you haven't quite yet pulled the trigger, you put it off for another day, there are not many other days left. Go ahead, do it right now, guys. Go ahead, pause this episode. You can come right back to it. It takes about a minute and a half to sign up for a new account. Just go to mybookie.ag. Use our exclusive promo code UGA, and mybookie is going to hook you up, guys. They're going to give you an incredible deal. Whatever you deposit, they're going to match it up to $200, but not in bonuses with rollovers and all these strings attached. No, they're going to give you straight cash added to your account, and all you have to do is bet that initial deposit. As soon as you do, that money will be released for you to withdraw from your account to do whatever it is that you want to do with it. Have some fun with it. Go buy something for yourself. Go buy something for the loved ones in your life. Hey, you got a couple days to win a little bit of cash and put that money towards some Peach Bowl tickets. Whatever you want to do with it, it's your money. And we are still right in the middle of the 12 days of giveaways where my bookie is, is just giving you cash, guys. That's what they're doing. They're trying to help you out. They're trying to give you ways to earn some money, to make some money, to put into your account. So it's a no-brainer, guys. Go ahead. Do it right now while you still can. There's still plenty of NFL, still plenty of bowl games, college basketball. 
Plus, you'll be set up for the 2023 football season. You can bet on some win totals in the offseason, which I'll give you guys some some of the bets that I'm going to be making in the offseason with those win totals. So go ahead, do it today, guys. It's mybookie.ag. Use that promo code UGA so you can bet anything, anytime, anywhere with mybookie. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. Okay, so we just got done telling you guys how concerned we are about the matchup with our defensive backfield with Ohio State wide receivers, but let's stick on that theme of the Ohio State offense. We know, Kurt, like this offense is is elite, right? I mean, I, they're not the, this is what I said last week, they're, they're not the death machine Ohio State offense that they have been in years past, or at least compared to last year. Last year's Ohio State offense was a, an absolute like death machine. This year, they're really good. I would call them elite relative to this season, but I don't think they, were as good as they, they are as good as they were last year. But still, total offense, they're seven in the country, averaging 492.7 yards a game. Yards per play, they're second nationally, just behind Tennessee at 7.3 yards per play. They're second nationally in scoring offense, scoring 44.5 points a game. They're fourth nationally in S&P plus offense. So, Curtis, any way you slice it, man, like this is an elite offense. So how does this Georgia defense, who has been one of the best defenses all year long, how do we go about trying to slow down this Ohio State offense? Realistically, we're going to have to do what we did against Tennessee and LSU. I know um, we still gave up some yards, especially when we think LSU. But we are going to have to get pressure up the middle. Yeah. Um, as simple as that. Um, we've got to take it away. You know, you're talking about Stroud. He's mobile and can run, but he's not. Um, he doesn't do it. Right? He won't do it. He doesn't even move in the pocket well. Yes, he's only he's been sacked, I think, seven times in the season, which is really great. But it's not about him using his mobility um, and things like that. Like Bryce Young, where he can dance and make things happen. That's not his game. So I think if we can get pressure up the middle, especially Jalen Carter, Stackhouse, and Warren Brinson, people like that, then it's going to help us. Because it's like what you see with a lot of he, – he's a mobile quarterback, but he acts like a pocket passer in the fact that we've got to take away his ability to step up in the pocket. I 100% agree with me. Like that is, that's probably, I think there's two things for me that we have to do to slow down their offense. I think that is the first one, right? Like I have my notes here. We have to get pressure on Stroud. Here's my thing, Curtis. Not only do we have to get pressure on Stroud, I think we have to do it with a four-man rush. I do not think that we're going to be able to get away with bringing five and six guys and doing that consistently and beating this team because that leaves us too vulnerable on the back end. Are you with me on that? Yeah, I am. 
And I think that's why playing man-to-man is so um, important because I think well, – We've got, we've got to can, play man and we've got to hold up in man. Yeah, we do. And I think that's really this game – to me, I mean, we'll probably get into it later, but Malachi Starks is going to be the X factor for us this this game. Interesting. All right, tell me why. Because of what happened against LSU, he really that was the worst game he's ever played, and we gave yeah. up some big plays. And you're talking about us holding up on the back end. I have faith in Chris Smith. Malachi Starks is the one that could get exposed, and that's the one that I mean, Jalen Carter. Yes, is the X factor because a lot goes with him. But I think if Malachi Starks out plays how he did against LSU, then we are in trouble. But that's the anomaly for him, Curtis. Like that's not how that's not who he's been all year. Like that was the one no, time I was and, like, whoa. And it, and it is. And that's what I'm saying. And I think that's why he's yeah. so important because he we can't have him play like this and hold up. Because I, I believe like I this is me, but I think we have to play man to man like we did against Tennessee. Um like, like, and, like press man, aggressive man, yeah, not like we did press, against LSU. Because we were playing yeah. against LSU, it was just more of an off man. Yeah, especially once we got up, we were playing off. But I, we're gonna have to play press, aggressive man, and we've got to hold up in the back end. And that's why I think Malachi Starks, um, it's just the one person that that needs to hold up. Yeah, and that's that's a tough. I mean, it, like you know, they they watched obviously they watched the LSU game, and you know with the Mecca Buka lining up in the slot there is as dynamic as, as he is as a receiver. They're probably looking their chops, trying to create some ways to get him mashed up on on Starks and Chris Smith and whoever it is in the back end there at, at the safety position. Because safeties by trade aren't aren't, aren't as good to cover guys as corners. That's why they play safety and they don't play corner. And so that's you're certainly right there. That that could be, end up being the X factor in this game. There's no doubt there. But I think we gotta get pressure on Stroud. I mean, like you said, four man rush is key for me. We, we like I don't see a way that we win this game if we're sitting back there having to play with uh, like a, a one high safety shell because we're having to bring like five and six guys. Like I just like we we, I'm, we can do that from time to time. I'm not saying that we can't ever rush five or six. Yes, of course you gotta mix things up. We did that a couple of times against Tennessee as well. But like we can't make that a rule because if we do. They are going to torch us. Like as good as our our DBs are better than what they show against LSU and what people think after that game because we we just didn't play that game the way that we normally do from a coverage standpoint, and the schematic standpoint, especially in the second half. But look, I mean, Curtis, those those receivers are elite. I mean, I think LSU's receivers are are borderline elite unit, but I think this is a better group. And like as as talented as we are in the back end, like it, it's just a lot to ask to consistently hold up a man coverage with no help against that group. And if you do bring those those bodies like that, you better get home, man. Like you better get home if you bring five or sixes. If we don't, that's going to create big play opportunities. So I think we're going to have to try to get creative, scheme some, scheme some, scheme up some one on one matchups for guys like Jalen Carter. Um, uh, for maybe you mentioned Warren Brinson as well. Scheme up pressure with our linebackers. And also, Kurt, somebody else is going to have to win. All right, Jalen Carter, we know what he brings to the table. Curtis, you know, you know the Ohio State offensive brain trust when they're sitting down and trying to put together a game plan to def- to attack our defense. You know that Jalen Carter is public enemy number one on the game plan, right? They know we have to account for this guy. They're going to try to double him and take him out of this game. If they're going to. Now, now what, what do we do to counter that? We're gonna have to figure out ways to to scheme up ways to kind of get him one-on-one matchups, to take to, to take them out of what they're trying to do. Or somebody else is going to have to win their one-on-one matchups. Is it going to be Michael Williams? It could be. I hope so. Robert Beal. Like, I mean, now's the time, dude. Leading soccer from last year. Now is the freaking time to step up. Warren Brinson. I think he's a guy that gave us some interior pressure. Uh, I like him a lot. There's Zion Lowe can get some push at times, but somebody else is going to have to win. And curse. If you had to predict, who is that somebody else going to be in this game? I'm going to go with Nazir Stackhouse, I believe, right oh, now. Oh, nah, getting that push from the, from the nose. Behind Jalen Carter, he has been the best um, pass rusher on the defensive line we've had lately. He gets that push. 
he does get the push. He goes and he plays. He, he he's just been so solid for us all year. Man, gets the run. Well, and I think gets I some think, interior I think push. Jaylen, well, with Jalen Carter, they're going to focus on him. It's going to open him up, I believe, down low because they're going to try to double team and take Jalen Carter. He's going to get all the attention. It's going to open it up for someone near him, and I think Stackhouse yeah. is the one that may benefit from that. Interesting. I also would like to see us potentially move Jalen Carter around the line some. Move him, move him to five tech. I think we need to because I, I mean, not every play, like, but like occasionally. Treat him um, like Trevon Walker because the fact is, we can't let them key on him. If he's in the Absolutely. same position every time, we've got to keep can't him on edge. I mean, you see with Aaron Donald and people like that, and that's kind of like who his comp is. You've got to move him around. He's a game changer, man. Put him on, again, not every snap, but move him around, get him some matchups at the five tech where he's mashed up with an offensive tackle and you bring in linebackers with some simulated pressure, right? When you bring in linebackers, you drop other guys, maybe you drop Robert Beal, you drop Chad Chambers in a coverage, you get them, you, you run some twists and stunts to the point where they can't double, right? Where you have Jalen with a C gap and you're bringing a, a twist stunt from the linebacker into the B gap. They can't really double Jim and they can try to chip him with a running back. That's fine. But we've got to do some things, get creative to try to counteract what they're going to try to do, which is clearly double and try to take Jalen out of the game. We cannot just line him up as a three tech and sit there and say, all right, Jalen, like go do your thing. Cause they're going to double him every single time. We've got to get creative there and try to find a way to get pressure. I think with, with a four minute rush as much as we can. I think the other thing kind of goes hand in hand with this in terms of slowing down the Ohio state offense. I'm curious to get your thoughts on this. And I feel like I say this almost every week. I know I said it a lot with the Tennessee game because their offense is built on, like, they want to establish the run. They ran the, ran the ball better than people gave them credit for coming in that game, and they want to hit you play action vertical shots over the top. So I felt like in that game, we had to limit their run game with even numbers so we could play a too-high-shell too high look with our safeties all game long to give help to our corners. I think that is the exact same formula in this game. I know Tennessee, we talked about earlier, it's a different kind of offense, but the, both of these offenses, I think, the Tennessee and Ohio State offenses are similar that they they really need to establish the run to do what they want to do offensively in, in the past game. So I don't think that we can get into situations where we're having to play man free with a single high safety because they have too many weapons, right? So as with Tennessee, I think stopping the run against Ohio State is a prerequisite to containing this Ohio State offense. I think putting them in second and third down and longs that allows us to get more athletic on the field, get more aggressive with pressure pressure packages and our dime looks and like. Look, we know like, we don't rush the passer well with our front four. So we need to get them in, in these like second and third long situations routinely. And the best way to do that is by containing the run game with even numbers and not having to roll safeties in the box. Do you see that as, as, a, as, a, as a big part of stopping this Ohio State offense? I do. I, I, I'm with you. Yeah, I, I think that's, that's a big part of what we're going to have to do to stop this team. All right, Curtis, let's flip things over to the other side of the ball here. And we, look, we've addressed the defensive game plan, but I think the other side of the ball is is really intriguing here. The Ohio State defense, at least statistically, is better than the average Georgia fan wants to think that they are. They really are. I laid the numbers out for you guys last week. So, Kurt, if, if you are Todd Munkin, how do you go about attacking this Buckeye defensive unit? You know, Ohio State, I believe, is number two in the nation against tight ends and running backs, I believe, in they the are. passing game. And they're a lot lower on the outside. But I'm like, still in the, like 119 them. or something like that. Yeah, but I'm still going to attack them with Brock Bowers, Darnell Washington, and Kenny McIntosh. And the reason I go for that is, first off, the Big Ten this year, I believe they have one good tight end out of Iowa Laporta. this year. Yeah. And then not one they have not 
I guess maybe the only running back they faced that's similar to Keenan McIntosh is kind of what you saw in Michigan. And they, Michigan was able to gash them with Donovan Edwards. They didn't even have Blake Corum for that game. Yeah. Um, and, and I don't care. I mean, the thing is we can move Brock Bowers around, and he doesn't just play in line um, like most tight ends do. But there's linebackers. If you can get a matchup with them, with either of our tight ends or running backs, that's game over. I mean, I would use uh, – honestly, I would use the same game plan we saw out of um, Steve Sarkeesian two years ago when they played Ohio State. In the, Tough uh, Borland on Devontae Champions. Smith. Yeah, and that's exactly what I do. I do very similar, try to – I mean, and that's what Todd Munkin does, and that's what makes him so good is he's all about matchups instead of just, you know, um, a lot of people are trying to make people fit their scheme. No, Todd Munkin looks at the matchups, and that's what, how he can attack them. And that's what you're going to have to do with Ohio State. You're going to have to attack those, those inside linebackers specifically with our speed in the passing game. That's a great breakdown, man. I agree with you there. I, I really do. I think, I think people have kind of overreacted to the Michigan loss. I really do. Um, I, I look, I know, and I, what, I, what, I, what I mean by that is I think people have this view of Ohio State based off of that one game. You know, last year, yes, they did get punked and they got manhandled by Michigan. They 100% did. I watched that game a bunch of times preparing for our Orange Bowl match against Michigan last year. And like Michigan just flat out out physicaled them last year. And that mindset and that view, that perception of Ohio State has kind of bled over into this season. And then people look at the final score of the Michigan-Ohio State game this year, uh, what, a month or so ago, and kind of decided, well, uh, Michigan just out physical Ohio State again. Ohio State's just a finesse team. But if you really, really watched that game and dialed into it, that's not at all what happened in that game. Michigan had – I put these numbers out there. I put them out there again. Michigan had 530 total yards in that game on 60 plays. Curtis, 349 of those yards came on five plays, all five of which went for touchdowns. That's 70 yards per play on those five plays. The other 55 plays, Michigan only put up 181 total yards. It's 3.2 yards per play. Michigan did not out-physical Ohio State in this year's matchup. They got stoned at the line of scrimmage for the vast majority of that game. The difference was I think, five I think, plays. Hold on. Yeah, I was going to say, I think you're going where you're going is exactly um, yeah. what I agree with it. And I think that is Ohio State's Achilles heel. Exactly. They hit they, they, Michigan and Michigan, they ran away with the game, but they did that by big plays. Like big plays, that was the difference. And like they really, Michigan, I swear to God, like they won maybe, I'm not, this is slightly an exaggeration, but they won like five plays against Iowa State, but those five well, plays were all home runs. And it's just like, I remember watching Maryland play Ohio State, you know. Maryland was putting up huge big plays on the Ohio State left and right, and that's how you beat them is in the big plays. Um, but I also think if you watch it, though, and you think back to Michigan, Michigan had a couple big pass plays early in the game, but Ohio State is also not as deep, and I think that you can – you're not going to manhandle them the whole game, but I think you Full can corner. wear them down to then hitting, gashing them in later in the game. 100%. That's exactly – that's my sentiment here, man. It's like – I, I don't like this idea that we're just going to come out and run all over Ohio State now. No, I don't. I don't. It's believe not going to happen. From, not from the jump. Yeah, it's not. It's not going to be from the jump. Um, it'll be you know I think three four yards most of the game. But if we're as long as we're in it or you know ahead or in a position to, if we can continue to wear them down, and then the late third fourth quarter, as like typical Georgia football is when you'll start gashing them all of a sudden, especially as we're deep in the running back game. You know that's one thing Ohio State doesn't have is the running backs right now, but we do. Um, especially coming into this game. And I think that's where, um, I mean, we're going to have to use them to play action to set up the big plays. But I think especially later in the game is when you can hit some big plays in the run game. 
I, I totally agree with you, man. In fact, like I'm, I'm going to go ahead and jump to it real quick. We'll come, we'll give our keys to the game here in a few minutes. But one of my keys you, you just mentioned there, my, my friend, is keep it close going to the fourth quarter. Like the Michigan game was a four point game going to the fourth quarter. We all know how that turned out. Michigan outscores them 21 3 in the fourth quarter. They broke off two 75 plus yard touchdown rounds touchdown runs doing that and you're exactly right Curtis. why did that happen because ohio state they're they have a really good starting 11 on defense especially in the front seven but they don't really rotate they don't have a ton of quality depth and if you can keep the game close which most teams they played this year couldn't do so it didn't matter what happened in the fourth quarter but if you're like michigan and you can keep it close in the fourth quarter and you don't turn the ball over the way that penn state did in the fourth quarter and give them easy short fields then you have a chance to start gashing them and hit some of those explosive plays. So I think that's one of the big keys for us, Curtis. You're exactly right. You're nailing that, man. Is like we've just even if we're not ahead, like obviously that's let's shoot for being ahead. But if we're just within striking distance in the fourth quarter, I think that that's advantage Georgia with the depth that we have and the way that we could potentially take over this game late in the game. But uh, yeah, we'll get to that in a little bit a little bit more here in a second. But I'm gonna go back real quickly here, Curtis. When you're talking about how we attack the Ohio State defense, you know. I think it's going to have a lot to do with how they play us. You know, do they come out loading the box the way that most teams do? Because that's what they did to Michigan, right? And I mentioned it was only five plays that Michigan really hit home runs on, but they hit home runs in those five plays. And they got burned because of the way they played Michigan. They thought Michigan, hey, Michigan, you you, you can't beat us through the air. You can't hit explosive plays. And Michigan said, um, all right, hold our beer. Let's watch what happens. And that's exactly what Michigan did. So do they do that again? Because like that's kind of what they've done all year. Or do they learn from the mistakes that they, that they made against Michigan, kind of adopt the game plans that Kentucky and Tech used against us, to limit our explosive plays by playing a too high shell all game long and trying to force us to go the length of the field and just and keep the game within striking distance. I don't know what they're going to do. Like we won't know until shortly after 8 p.m. on Saturday night. My guess is that they're going to do what they did against Michigan because that wasn't really a one game deal. And you go back and you do some hey, interesting. Things. I thought I I would I think that they may try the Kentucky and Georgia Tech scheme. That to me, that's what you should do. Like I think I, I told you guys, like that's what I think that we a team that's trying to defend us. That's what you should do. I just. I, I was shocked LSU didn't do it, Curtis. Like, I thought I thought for sure LSU was going to do the same thing, and they didn't. I don't want them to play us like that because I do think that's the way to defend I mean, us. It's the, way, to, it's the way to slow us down um, now. I think it was. But the you way don't want to you don't want to let us jump out on top of you the way that we did get to Tennessee and LSU. If that happens, they have yeah. no chance. Exactly. So that, that's what, how I would play us, but I, I'm not the coordinator here. Like, all I know is like what I've seen them do all year long. Well, Jim, and it's also Jim Knowles' style, though, because, I mean, I remember watching them, you know, the last couple of years. That's how Jim Knowles plays. That's how he plays. Yep. And so that's – like, it's like, does does he do what he's always done? Because, like, Curtis, routinely, they have, like, eight and nine defenders within six, yard, six yards line of scrimmage. It wasn't just a Michigan thing. That's, like, what they do all year long. So is he going to just, like, completely change, like, what he does schematically in this one game? Maybe. But I think the odds are he probably just does what they do and tries to – play it better than they did against Michigan. I don't know. Like, I don't know. It's inter- It's very interesting to see what they're going to do here from a schematic standpoint. We'll know, you know, shortly after the game kicks off. But I don't know. I'm, I'm guessing they're going to do what they did against Michigan because that's just kind of how he plays. Um, and their edge rushers are really hyper-aggressive rushing the passer. Uh, uh, I can't really say his name. JTT is what we're going to call him. Um, Harrison, uh, Sawyer off the edge. Those guys are the best players on defense. Like, their edge rusher, they recruit really well at the edge rusher position. Uh, JTT and Sawyer were both top 10 guys, five-star prospects coming out. Um, in the 2021 cycle, Harrison's a, a, was a big time recruit himself a couple years ago, and they typically play a very soft man man free coverage scheme behind it. So, how do you counteract that? All right, from a schematic standpoint, well, number one, I think we screen them to death. Like, take all those gimme yards, take them, take like them. we did against Oregon. 
Absolutely take them. And then when they start trying to take that away, then you hit them over the top. And I also think run at this. Run at their edge run rushers because they get so far upfield course i'm not even kidding man watching their tape i'm talking 10 to 12 yards upfield sometimes rushing the passer i love split zone in this game against those ends how aggressive they play but however they play us i really think the screen screen game needs to be a big part of what we do um because i think they're very small in the secondary and they do not tackle well a couple of those big plays in michigan hit especially the first one to cornelius johnson uh was just he Broke a tackle off a hitch and just with the distance. So we we can break tackles and we can generate explosive plays that way. And you mentioned Brock Bowers, our tight ends girl. I'm with you, man. Like get Brock Bowers involved early and often in the screen game, the quick pass game. Just get the dude the ball in space and let the man go to work and do his thing because he will just run through their secondary. I'm telling you, he's going to run through those guys. And if they do for some reason, Curtis, like you think they might, if they do play out of character and try to operate with that too high look, I mean, you got to take what they give us and run the ball. Don't force things. Um, but we'll see how that ends up, how it ends up playing out and what they end up doing. Um, Kirk, got a couple more things here real quick. I want to ask you about location here. Cause there's a lot, there's a lot made of this game being played in Atlanta inside Mercedes Benz stadium. So how much does location matter in your estimation in this matchup? As we've seen, we can lose there. I mean, you saw it last year against Alabama. Uh, we can easily lose there, but I think it does help anytime you try to take Ohio state out of it. Um, in my opinion, I think it, I mean, it's a positive. I think it's as simple as that. Georgia fans travel, and if we were able to build any momentum, I think it's only going to help us. I mean, you saw in the Oregon game, the LSU game, if we get momentum in there, it's a, um, it's hard to catch up with us. Yeah, but you're right, Curtis. Like, there was a, you know, coming to this year, like, I've been kind of gun-shot going to Mercedes-Benz Stadium because it's been so long since I experienced a Georgia victory. It's 2017 against Auburn, the SEC championship game. You lose in 2018 in heartbreaking fashion, 2019. It was what it was against LSU. Uh, we know we didn't make it in 2020. We know what happened in 2021 last year against, against Alabama. So it was like three in a row. It was like, God dang, man, like I'm tired of this. Uh, obviously, against Oregon, we kind of flipped the script. And I th- we, it was a big-time Georgia crowd in the LSU, with, with, against LSU in the SEC title game. Um, so I'm, like you're right. It's not like we can't lose in Mercedes-Benz. Like it, It's happened plenty. Like Trust me, I've been there for all of them. It sucks. Um, but I also think like, Ohio State is probably the closest thing to an SEC fan base that the Big Ten has. Like This team, this fan base is going to travel. They're going to be represented well in Atlanta. I still think there's going to be more dogs in attendance. I think if judging by nothing more than ticket prices on each respective side of the field. Um, I also think it helps to a degree that like we've been there and done that in Mercedes Benz stadium. Like this is the fourth time we played in the last two years. I don't think that's a, a like a dramatic edge for us, but it's, it's not nothing. Right. So yeah, I, I think the location is not a decisive factor, but I do think it's at least one small factor leaning to our advantage in a game that it ultimately could be, very well be decided by by the small margins, or it really could be. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L I B S Y N ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. 
Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with lips and ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com. All right, Curtis, we are getting towards the end here, my friend. Uh, let's go ahead, man. Let's bring all this together and let's just talk about the keys to the game. We kind of teased this a little bit earlier in the show. Let's bring it back. What do you see as the keys to a Georgia victory in this Peach Bowl matchup with Ohio State? Number one is we're going to have to hit big plays. Um, you know, we talked about it earlier in the show, and it's, it is, it's just as simple as that. I mean, defensively, Ohio State has given 20, up 26 touchdowns, only given up 12 to put it into perspective. Um, so it shows that, you know, you can score on that defense. So I think that's the one thing. And, you know, if you've watched them throughout the year, I, mean, I know a lot of people watch the Michigan game, but if you just had caught them throughout the year, they've given up big plays. You're totally right. The big plays, Curtis, have been that it's been a thing that's plagued them in the games. The, the games that have been close, whether it was Maryland, whether it was Penn State, they've given us some plays. Obviously, against Michigan, so it wasn't so a one-time thing against Michigan. It has been something. The games that have been more more of a challenge for them, that has been an issue for them. Yeah, it has, and I think that it kind of goes hand in hand, though, because you know, key number two for me is we have to win the turnover battle, and I know we have struggled with that this year, but it's can't lose turnover battle against them because that's especially defensively they're very opportunistic and that's what you're going when the margins are this small in a game like that you just can't man like really you can't like you cannot lose a turnover battle in a game like this against a team that's as talented as Ohio State is like it's just it's I'm not saying you can't win if it's like a you know a, a two to one turnover ratio but like you can't turn the ball over three four times and expect to win this football game I, I hope that we don't do that I'm not saying that we will but it just it simply cannot happen all right you got anything else for me all right, so the third key to me is that we cannot give up the big plays. Ohio State is, you know, they have 2,000-yard receivers. They have explosive running back, um, singular currently. Um, but the fact is they have some big play guys. Um, so especially in the back end, you talked about it. We can't uh, – We our safeties have got to protect us, especially in the passing game. And Ringo, especially Ringo, is going to have to get his head around. Oh, yeah. I mean, God, Kurt, like it's – I don't know if I've ever seen a DB that's so consistently where he needs to be, but just not consistently making plays in the ball. So hopefully he comes out. He's had a, I've heard he's had a good month or so, or good, well, good couple of weeks of practice um, in preparation for this game. Hopefully he comes out with a chip on his shoulder and makes some plays. So we've seen the guy do it. He's just got to do it more consistently in this game. So those are great keys, man. Um, I got a couple of, of, of them here. Some of these we've already kind of touched on. At the top of my list here, we, we, I don't want to spend too much time because we've already touched on it. Pressure C.J. Stroud. Like, it's just that simple, man. Like, we have got to get him off his spot. We have got to make him feel uncomfortable. He will dice us up. I'm telling you guys, if you have not watched Ohio State play much more than the Michigan game, this dude is as accurate a passer can put the ball in places that I just don't see other quarterbacks do. Like, if he just is allowed to sit back there and camp out in the pocket, 
If he's just allowed to chill without a word in the world, he's going to cut us to pieces, and I just don't think that we win the game. Like We've got to pressure him. So that's number one for me. Number two, this kind of goes to what you were talking about with uh, with turnovers there, Curtis. Like We cannot give them short fields or defensive sp- or defensive slash special teams touchdowns. We just can't. So I got some numbers for you on this, guys. So there's really there's three games that they could have lost. One of them they did lose. They almost lost to Penn State. Penn State was beating them most of that game. They it was a tight game with Maryland into the fourth quarter. Obviously, we know they, we know they lost to Michigan. So and then Iowa is a different game. Like they they beat the hell out of Iowa with the final score. They put up 54 points. But I don't think the average fan realizes they only put up 360 yards of total offense against Iowa, but they still somehow scored 54 points. So that doesn't really compute. How does that happen? Well, it happens because Iowa's offense is just dreadful and just gave them points. Um, in that game, Ohio State had a pick six, and they scored 26 more points on six drives that began from the Iowa 29, the Iowa 27, the Iowa 34, Iowa 32, Iowa 15, the Iowa 40. So six drives starting with inside the Iowa 40-yard line that scored 26 points on. We cannot do that and win this game. Penn State, they uh, were losing most of that game. Uh, they had a pick six for a score. Uh, they had two other turnovers that they forced in that game. They gave them the ball in the Penn State 41 the Penn State 24, both of which resulted in touchdowns. So at a minimum, Penn State gave them 13 points that game. And, oh, yeah, how much did Ohio State win that game by? Oh, yeah, that's right, 13 points. Maryland, they had a scoop and score touchdown against the Terrapins. They also blocked a punt that gave them the ball in the Maryland 14, which they then converted into a touchdown. So Maryland gave them 14 points. And, oh, yeah, they beat Maryland by 13 points. They very easily could have lost to Maryland if Maryland did not screw up and give them easy scores. You simply have to make them beat you. Do not beat yourself. Just simply can't do it. And then the last one here for me, Curtis, is red zone efficiency. Ohio State is very good on offense. They have too many playmakers, and the scheme is just too good for us to expect to just like completely shut down this offense. I know people want us to do that. I just don't see that happening. No one has done that. And even Michigan didn't do that. And Michigan's very good on defense. They're going to move the ball. Just understand that guys. They don't freak out when they move the ball. Some between the twenties, they're going to that's they're They're very, very good. So this game might well come down to just simply who's more efficient scoring touchdowns in the red zone. We have been the best in the country all season long in both defensive red zone scoring percentage and defensive red zone touchdown percentage. But on the flip side, Ohio State's third in the country in offensive red zone scoring percentage and fourth in offensive red zone touchdown percentage. We have had, for our offense, some isolated games where it's been an issue for us scoring touchdowns in the red zone. But on the whole, we've been good in the red area. We're top 35 in red zone touchdown percentage. But all of that, like us playing the way we played defensively inside the red zone, that needs to be the case again in a game that very well could end up being decided by small, small, small margins. So that is a huge key in this game. I guess one more, we already mentioned it. Just keep it close going into the fourth quarter, right? As Curtis was talking about earlier, like this team is very talented, but they don't have the depth defensively. So if we can stay within striking distance or have a lead going to the fourth quarter, I really like our chances. They don't have the quality depth defensively. I think that's when we can really start to hit some big explosive plays like you saw Michigan do about a month ago. Uh, but all right, Curtis, uh, I think we've covered about every angle that we could to this game. So it is prediction time, man. My bookie currently has the line sitting at seven with the point total at 62. So who wins, who covers, and why? Uh, you know. I mean, not to put you on the spot. You know, no, I just hate it because, you know, I always hate when I make a pick. Um, I know, I know, because like, people are going to hold it against you if you get it wrong. Right I now, know. right now, I still have Georgia winning. I'm going to go with this, like a three-point win. 
I think I'm going to go 34 to 31. What's the decisive factor in the game? Why do we win? I think the biggest thing is just um, big plays. Um, we're going to hit a couple big plays, and the rest of the time is go into more of the ball control. Yeah, you're totally right. If we're able to come out early in the game and hit explosive plays offensively the way we did against Tennessee, the way we did against LSU in the SEC Championship game, and hold that lead going to the fourth quarter where we can play more of a ball control style offense and just kind of run the ball down their throat with their lack of depth defensively, then I certainly do like our chances. But for me, Curtis, like when I'm looking at this game, I know what the narratives are coming into this game. And they're based largely off of each team's most recent game, right? So those out there inclined to favor Georgia, like a lot of our listeners out there, by and large view Ohio State as a finesse team, right? That just got run over and run through by a Michigan team that is Georgia light for the second year in a row. And then on the other side, those inclined to favor Ohio State look at our offense and think, oh yeah, the Georgia offense is very average. And that our pass defense just got exposed by LSU in the SEC championship game, which means, well, if LSU was able to do that, then the Buckeyes are just going to light us up in the secondary. But I don't really think any of those narratives on either side are rooted in solid ground. I really don't. Like We know what our offense is capable of. I don't have to tell you guys that. You've watched every single game. You know what we can do, right? And though, and you know how we can beat teams in different ways, playing different types of games. Like you know, like you know that narrative is, is BS. We've talked about that for many a year on this show. And we also know that while there have been some isolated cases of some of our DBs getting beat at times, I'm not going to sit here and put my head in the sand act like our DBs have been perfect. They have not. While that has happened at times throughout the year, the LSU game, let's be real, guys, that was the anomaly. And we did not play schematically in that game, especially the second half of that game, the way that we are going to against Ohio State. So I don't want to completely throw out what happened there, but it, it's night and day. It's not, it's not, that's just not what we're going to do against Ohio State. And on the other side, as I've been saying a couple of times on this show, since I've been as I've been saying since like last week, the Ohio State defense is not just some pushover unit that we're going to pound into submission. Like, that's not what their defense is. Like, they are better than that. I do. I'll go back to what I said at the outset of the show. And I, I could end up being wrong here. I know a lot of you probably disagree with me, and I understand why you probably would with what happened between Michigan and Ohio State and Columbus. But I really do think that these are the two best teams in the country. Like, I, I do. Like, I, I know what happened against Michigan. But as I said earlier, I think Michigan, like, if, if Ohio State plays them, you know, 10 times, I think they probably beat Michigan six or seven times. That Dan Columbus just just wasn't one of them. Uh, but I do think like these are the two best teams. I think they're at the very least, and they're, they're two of the three most talented teams in the country. Okay, So when you have a matchup like this, it comes down to the little things. That's why I keep talking about small margins. It comes down to little things when you have matchups like this. It comes down to who, who protects the ball, as Kirsch was talking about with his keys. It comes down to who's going to be more prepared, who's going to be more poised, those kind of things. And so when it comes down to those small margins in that way, I like the dogs. I like the dogs. I think that we have the superior coaching staff. I love not just Kirby. Kirby is like, yes, he is the leader. He is our fearless leader. But our staff in general, whether it's Glenn Schumann, Will Muschamp, Todd Munkin, you know, the mad scientist there, uh, Mike Bobo helping out, you know, behind closed doors, all of that. I just like our coaching staff better than the Ohio State coaching staff. I just do. I trust them more with a month to prepare than I do Ohio State staff with a month to prepare. I trust the culture of this program. I trust the leaders. I trust how our organization is put together. And then we've also played in a lot of games like this. And I think that matters. 
I really do. Sure, yes, Ohio State is going to be motivated to make amends for that Michigan loss. Of course they are. I know a lot of Ohio State fans are, are putting a lot of stock into that. They're going to come out firing, right? Sure, they will. I fully expect them to, of course. But this is the playoffs, man. Like, isn't everyone motivated? Is that really that much of an edge for you? Because, I, I mean, if we don't come out motivated, then that's a problem, right? I just don't expect that to be the case. But at the end of the day, and here's what's the, what is the deciding factor for me. At the end of the day, we play big in big games, in big moments. You know, Tennessee was the biggest game, not just of our regular season. That was the biggest game in the college ball regular season. I guess maybe you can argue Michigan-Ohio State. But like, think about the buildup, guys, in that matchup. One versus one, right? The extraordinarily rare one versus one matchup. And everyone was just all over Tennessee, right? Like That was the, the love child of the season, the college ball regular season. And what did we do? We came out throwing haymakers and we're up 24-6 the half. LSU, SEC title game, after two subpar performances to end the season against Kentucky and Georgia Tech, what did we do in that game? We came out throwing freaking haymakers up 35-10 at the half. Michigan last year coming off the SEC championship loss, what did we do? We came out throwing freaking haymakers up 27-3 at the half. And I know we weren't throwing haymakers from, from the jump in the national championship last year, but that experience is huge for us. We have been there. We've done that. We have the poise. We have the composure. We have the confidence. I think there's a big difference between thinking you can make big plays in big, no- in big moments and knowing you can make big plays in big moments. These are the moments where Stetson Bennett and our entire team as a whole, we just rise to the occasion. We are at our best in the biggest games. We have proven that time and time and time again. Ohio State is going to challenge us. I think I've made that clear over the past two weeks trying to preview this game for you guys. They are going to challenge us. They are a very good football team. I don't buy into this narrative that they are just going to run through them. They're a finesse football team. I don't buy that. I've watched this team a lot, guys, preparing for this for this matchup. And I think this is going to be a close game for much of the game. I hope I'm wrong. I really do. Like, I, I truly hope that I'm wrong. You, you guys are all going to turn around and just laugh at me at the end of this game and we just blow them out. I hope so. I just don't know, man. I don't know if I see that. But I do think, as Curtis was saying earlier, the depth is the key to this, right? So if we can just keep it close, I think that we pull away in the fourth quarter. And ultimately, I think that we cover the seven with a huge fourth quarter. So give me the dogs on top. Give me the dogs to cover. And uh, let's go, baby. Let's go. We'll see how it all plays out. But whatever happens, win or lose, you guys know we're going to be back here next week to recap it all. So make sure to come on back next week, no matter the outcome, as we recap this game in the only way that we know how to. But thank you guys for being here. I appreciate each and every one of you. I hope all of you have a fantastic New Year's Eve. If you're going to the game, let's make this thing a true home field advantage for our dogs. If you're not... I want you barking and screaming as loud as you possibly can in your homes, at a bar, wherever it is that you're watching this game. Let's do this thing. And as always, go dog!